Jenny Hatch, and this is the Unredacted After Show Chat. I am your host, and today, Glenn Greenwald and Q, we're talking about the fact that the American political left is having a bit of an identity crisis as compared to their European leftist comrades, and are having a very different experience around the war in Ukraine. And they spent quite a bit of time talking with people who called in about this phenomenon. The, the final guy who called in from France, that was just heartrending as he shared the story of a woman who's made a documentary about the Donbass and how she was treated and how it was only some right-wing-ish type radio personality who the time of the day. And he and people like him for weeks now I think have been scratching their heads going, why isn't the American left media willing to engage with anyone who has a narrative that goes away from what the mainstream press is claiming about the Ukraine war? And it's a good question. And I really think Glenn and Q did a great job of fleshing out what's going on with our media and with our military and those who are agitating for a greater aim. I personally believe what we, are, what we are seeing right now is called a proxy war. And that's where you've got NATO, and they are definitely arming the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians are fighting against Russians. And this is really a war between NATO and Russia, and the Ukrainians are just caught in the middle. And my heart just aches for them. It it's just has to be horrifying to be a civilian in this situation. And I think we can all feel deep sympathy for them. And the question is, where do we go from here? And like I said, I've, I've been listening to podcasts and reading tons of political commentary from people who have been proud progressives. And they're saying things like, I don't even want to talk to my fellow progressives. I don't know how I fit in with all of this that's going on. I don't even know what my beliefs are anymore. And I really think there's a true identity crisis going on and people are, are wondering what's next. And I was on a chat board around the Mothering Magazine in 2003 and we were discussing the, the Iraq war. And there was just a lot of drum beating going on and certain ideas and positions were taken. And a lot of accusations were made about people being warmongers or people being uh, idiots who just followed along with the president and the military industrial complex. And yes, most of these accusations were hitting me right in the face. But I would throw right back and say, you know, I, I'm with freedom. I want to stand with whoever's out there pushing for freedom against totalitarianism. And if that means that we have some military activity to further the cause of freedom in the world, then I'm there. I'm there for it. And I still feel that way. And so 
I'm, I'm somewhat torn myself. What do I believe? What do I support? What do I know? And Q's all talking about joining the revolution. And I just saw a headline of this kid in Portland who threw a Molotov cocktail at some police during the summer of 2020. And he was just convicted. And he's going to do 10 years in prison as a young man. He looked like he could not have been older than 25. 10 years in federal prison for throwing a Molotov cocktail during a summer when he thought he was a part of the revolution and he was doing something righteous to stand up for his beliefs. And now he's, his life's going to be ruined for these 10 years. And I, I blame the people around that young man who were bullying him and pushing him and seducing him into this behavior, thinking that what he was doing was going to further good things on the earth. And isn't that just a little microcosm of what's going on in the greater world? That you have all these young people with fire in their bellies and they want to do what's right. They really want to help. I was listening to Joe Rogan's interview with Michael Schellenberger. It was fascinating. It just went live today on the internet, on Spotify, and it's everywhere. Go listen to it. I was really amazed that as a young man, he grew up as a devoted Marxist. And he went down and fought with the Sandinistas against the Contras as a 17-year-old. And Joe was like, how did your parents let you do that? And he said, well, the alternative was I wanted to go fight in Northern Africa. And so once they heard that, they were like, yeah, yeah, go down and fight with the Sandinistas. At least you'll be on the same half of the world. And as he shared his story, I was just amazed that he was so willing to tell just this arc of living he has been on during his mortal walk from devout Marxist to now he's running for the governor of California. And he's written these two books, heterodox books from the way that he was raised. And he's stepping out and standing up for his beliefs. Some of the things he talked about, like all day school and setting up more infrastructure for the mentally ill. I, I'm, as he was talking, I was like, oh, it's just more government money. But at least he's trying. At least he's offering solutions for big, big problems. And I, I, if I was in California, I'd vote for him. I really liked some of his ideas. And I thought he, he had the heart of someone who would be willing to do the hard work to see his ideas put into action instead of just stumping around certain things and then not following through. Anyway, go listen to that interview because it was fascinating. And it aligns with what the message of David Horowitz's book, his fabulous biography, Radical Son, illustrated. He wrote it 30 years ago, and he talked about how he was raised in a communist home, and he was a red diaper baby in the San Francisco Bay Area, grew up to be a revolutionary, wrote for the magazine Ramparts, one of their main editors, good friends with all of the movers and shakers in the progressive left in Northern California. And then one of his best friends, a woman, was murdered by the Black Panthers. And it was his moment to say, I'm not sure I can be a part of this anymore. And he really did some soul searching for about and then determined um, to become a conservative. And he 
was amazed one time when he was reading William Sapphire, who was a, you know, fire and brimstone conservative thinker, who wrote a position, I don't even remember what the topic was, that was in complete opposition to all these other conservatives. And he said, oh boy, he's going to get it now because he, he went off the reservation. He went, you know, solo and had his own opinion. And he said he was shocked to see that everybody sort of shrugged and was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's Sapphire. And he, he realized in that moment that there was a plurality of voices on the right that was not a part of his experience on the left. That for whatever reason, there was much more groupthink and kill the messenger. And if you don't believe what we believe, you're not part of our group going on than there ever has been on the right. And so I have observed since I read his book and have watched other thinkers and writers move from right to left and mostly move from left to right. And this tends to be a maturing thing that you do have a tendency to be more of a progressive in your youth. And as you mature and get married and have children, you become more and more conservative as you get older. It's just a thing. It's very rare for someone to start out conservative and then move to the left. Those who do that are mostly female from what I've observed. And it's mostly tied to, oh, the more leftist you are in your behavior, the better job and income you will get from being this loud, obnoxious leftist. Now, I'm not saying it's all about the money, but um, there's a lot of loud, well-paid progressives out there who have followed the money and are making bank based on their promotion of leftist ideologies, particularly on campuses and in other scholarly settings. But when we're getting down to definitions and political views, I think the left in Europe is much more clear-headed about what's happening in Ukraine. And I do think that they are looking on what's happening in America with the American people's response that anything Russia does or says or did or is planning to do is evil, that that has been literal in them for these last six years. And I don't know how we fix that. How do you help someone change their mind to say, oh, I'm sorry, you were brainwashed by the media into thinking these things and here are the facts and they, they don't want to hear the facts. I don't know how to do that. I mean, good luck to anybody who tries. But I do think that Q and Glenn's take on that whole situation is spot on. And I feel for those people who have been trained to hate, to hate President Trump, to hate those people who vote for him, who voted for him or who will vote for him again. And I have been on the receiving end of enough of that hate to understand that this is their hill to die on. They, they will not let go of the idea that he is evil incarnate. He was absolutely being controlled by Putin and Russian interests. End of story. And they don't want to talk about it. And I, like I said, I don't know how to fix that. I wouldn't even try. But I, I tend to be all about the facts. I want to see the facts. Tell me the truth. And if I can't see the truth, then I'm going to go look for it. 
And I might even look for it in weird places. But I'm always about trying to figure out what's really going on. What, From what I can see, NATO's trying to expand. There's a proxy war going on. The Ukrainians are caught in the middle of it. The military-industrial complex is agitating for a war because they know that's where their future lies in terms of money and control and power. And you've got Putin there going, you know, somebody's got to stand up to this. Now, does that mean that I believe Putin is a good man and he can only do good things? No, that's not what I'm saying. But he's the president of Russia and he's watching out for his people. And he doesn't want to be in a land war and having NATO forces coming in and messing with his country. And so I support any country's right to defend their borders and to protect their own. And for 15 years, he has warned, if you cross these certain lines, there's going to be a response. And and now we've seen the response. So those are my thoughts on this situation. In terms of the revolution, I believe the most revolutionary thing you can do is get married, have some children, give birth to them in your own home, bypass the whole medical industrial complex, get into farming, natural healing, step out of the money streams tied to your womb, to your children's health, to education. If you have to, pay for a tutor, pay for a teacher to come teach your own. Until we sort out the messes in the public schools, that's where I think individuals will find their power. It's all wonderful to say, oh, I'm part of the revolution, and I'm just going to go join some Marxist group, and that's going to be my ticket to all good things. And like that that Marxist kid in Portland who's now going to spend the next 10 years in prison, if you're a young person and you want to have good things in your life, there is nothing better you can invest your time and money and talents into than into having a family. And that is where I believe you will find your happiness. And I'm reading so much great information about what's happening in our schools. I'm also seeing a lot of the dark things that are happening. And there's a guy named Josh Dawes who wrote this fabulous thread on Twitter. And I'm just going to share his Twitter stream because I really think this is the heart of the matter for so many of us who are parents and grandparents. He said, the left doesn't want to diddle kids. They want to create little revolutionaries. To do that, they need to sever the bond between students and the parents they believe are raising their children to be hateful bigots. In order to sever the bond between parents and their children, the left is using a two-pronged approach, critical race theory and radical gender ideology, properly known as queer theory. They're not two unrelated sets of ideas. They are two parts of the same strategy. Critical race theory is usually the first set of ideas to be introduced. This is often enough to radicalize racial minorities, but it's merely step one for white or white adjacent students. Critical race theory instills in these students 
a negative self-identity as they're taught to believe they're recipients of enormous privilege that was stolen from others and that they are complicit in historic and ongoing injustice. In child terms, they're taught to believe they're bad. And just as a side note, I can confirm that the children taught, especially the elementary, the little ones, they really, they really take this to heart and feel like they're bad people. Apart from the shame and guilt, this also gives them a worldview at odds with the one their parents grew up with and are trying to pass on to their kids. Step one is complete. Once CRT is done tearing down these kids and leaving them with a negative self-identity, queer, th queer theory, QT, is introduced and offers them a wide assortment of positive self-identities to choose from. Instead of living with the shame and guilt of being a member of the oppressive dominant culture, these students can be celebrated for coming out as gender non-binary or pansexual. In an instant, these kids can trade their negative self-identity and all the accompanying guilt and shame of being an oppressor for a positive self-identity as a much venerated oppressed minority. At this point, the left desperately wants this new identity to stay at school so it has time to be cemented before the parents find out. In the guise of helping these students, schools withhold this information about their children's new identity from mom and dad. Once the parents do find out about their child's new identity, it's firmly in place and an adversarial relationship between the child and parents has been manufactured. It takes extraordinarily deft parenting to repair the relationship once it has reached this stage. The parent's tendency will be to overreact and push the child further into the arms of the woke radicals, who now have the little revolutionary they want from the beginning. The bond between parents and child has been severed, ending the perpetuation of hate and bigotry. The left is determined to replicate this process in as many families as they can using whatever means at their disposal. It's not about diddling kids. It's about capturing the minds of impressionable children. Unfortunately, this creates environments where actual predators can thrive. When young children are isolated from their parents, encouraged to adopt different beliefs, and keep secrets from their parents, they are made easy targets for abusers. So there's about 10 more tweets. I would encourage you to go read Josh Dawes' tweet tweet thread. I saved it on my own Twitter, so you can go click over from there. One of the comments left on this was that groomer is the perfect word for adults who want to isolate groups of children from their parents, talk to children about their own adult sexual proclivities, and who want to teach children to think about their core identities in sexual terms. And I totally agree with that analysis. And if you have a parent who has a child in elementary school, I believe you would be well served to keep that child by your side as long as you can, till they're 10, 11, 12, and then let them explore attending public school. The reason why is because these curriculums and ideologies are so entrenched, it's going to take some time to root them out and replace them with more positive and human-friendly curriculums. We're just at the beginning stages of fixing it. 
but I think it's going to take some time. And in the interim, you don't want your child to be to this type of behavior themselves, thinking that they're less because of the color of their skin, that they're less because they're not a part of a certain identity group. And then replacing that with something that they will get props for and tons of attention and lots of support from their peers and people in their schools. And then the parents are sometimes the last to find out. So I think that's where I'm going to leave it today. Um, go check out the original unredacted show from today. It was fabulous. The whole thing, the questions, and um, especially the responses. I endorse and support both Glenn Greenwald and Q for their efforts to make a better world. And on many levels, I don't feel worthy <laughs> to provide commentary to the show because I don't feel like I'm as sophisticated as they are. But I do have my beliefs and I love to share them. So I will muster on. Thank you for stopping by. If you're someone who popped in here for the after show chat as a replay, I hope you have a great week.